0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The conservative review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American Patriots and Miniman guarding our liberty to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house for another full week of broadcast. We are back, yes, for a full week, not just a show, not just entertainment. But a movement, and we are getting this movement set up. It is Monday, February 15th today. A funny day that we call President's Day these days, but it's not. It's next Monday we celebrate George Washington's birthday. That is the holiday, we're going to talk about that in a moment. The profound dichotomy between those two names, the misnomer of the holiday, and what it represents... But I first want to let you guys know we are getting set up um, at ConAction.network. It's still slow because we want to do this right. We have some terrific volunteers building this movement where we could basically turn our audience into an organization. Liberty Strike Force teams in at least the 31 states where you have GOP legislatures. But not just to focus on legislatures, to focus on all sorts of things, county level stuff. Pick the five, ten top civilization issues of our time. And we want to make sure we have men on the field where it matters, when it matters. So we're going to have that up soon. Now, there's a lot to talk about. What do we do after impeachment? What should be our focus? What should Trump do? Some stuff going on in state legislatures. The latest uh, fascism with COVID. Tons of new data I have um, just endlessly disproving and debunking all of the COVID panic porn myths. But again, we're not going to win this at this point on data because we already did and it doesn't matter. This is a religion. We have to say no and fight back and say no. No. I actually think we need at some point, and we'll talk about this in the coming days, we need a D-Day. A D-Day where we have established a beachhead of liberty against the forces of tyranny. Perhaps maybe on March 16th, maybe we need another month to prepare, but that would be the anniversary of 15 days to flatten the curve. The anniversary of when we terminated this experiment in self-governance. That works so well for this country. The anniversary of the day where we established that a human being existing in locomotion is a threat to another human being. And that is enough for government to go and regulate his very existence up into and including his ability to breathe. My wife was saying we should have taken the kids out for homeschooling to Mount Vernon today. Because my older son is learning about George Washington. We're up to the 1790s in American history. But guess what? You have to wear a mask at George Washington's home. What a disgrace to everything he stood for. And before I get into that, I just want to introduce you to our new sponsor. A sponsor I really feel strongly about. Northwest Retention Systems. They are America's premier holster and everyday gear manufacturer. Those of you who are out with me at Front Sight shooting were very jealous of my holsters, but you were probably focusing on the beautiful designs, the Gadsden flag ones. They have all sorts of custom-made holsters, but it's more the quality. It feels right. It molds to your hip perfectly. I've never had a holster that felt that good. Um, You know, when I was taking the test... Notice, I used their holster, their belt, and their mag pouch. Too many of us focus or don't focus enough on the gun apparel. We think, ah, that's, that's for hardcore guys. No, I know there's a lot of first-timers in our audience, a lot of guys that never shot before or who are learning now, getting guns now. It's not extra credit. You need a holster. You need a secure holster that you could draw from properly the draw and an accurate shot all begins with a holster. And the holster begins with sitting properly in in a proper gun belt. And then obviously you do need mag pouches as well. They sell all of that. They also have these cool um, chest holsters for those that like to go hiking and backpacking but want to carry their gun. Uh, that's really where, where their signature... Uh, uh, product is but there i love their their regular holsters outside the waistband inside the waistband they have three goals number one to bring the greatest quality value and service number two to be innovative and continue to build and provide the best american-made quality lifestyle gear to the industry and number three is to show gratitude and help their fellow men build relationships train and educate i know tim anderson who is the ceo he's out in washington state terrific terrific patriot um so I want you guys to check out their website, see all they have to offer. I am going to have a video out of me shooting out of their holster and gear at Front Sight in a couple days. days. Um, again, this is the premium quality lifetime guarantee. They've got you covered with all sorts of holsters that you need. Visit nwretention.com. That's nwretention.com. Make sure to enter promo code CONSERVATIVE to save 10% off. Okay. So, I'm not just harping on random stuff here. It does matter. It does matter the fact that we are wrongly calling this President's Day. It's not President's Day. It's George Washington's birthday, which is really obviously um, next week, next Monday. And the difference between... George Washington's birthday and so-called President's Day is quite literally the difference between liberty and tyranny. Yes, it matters that much. I do believe there is a lot of profundity in, um, in this name change. And it's important we know about it before we get to some of the other news of the day. It was on January 31st, 1879, that they first created in Congress a bill to commemorate George Washington's birthday. And, and again, it was obviously meant to be celebrated on February 22nd, which is when it was supposed to be. But then, in 1968, because of course, government workers didn't get quite enough time off. They all seem, I mean, the ones that I know work in my area, all they're all off forever. But somehow, somehow people think they don't, uh, they don't get enough time off, which is bizarre. But um, anyway, they made it the third Monday in February. So you get a long weekend like they did with all the holidays with the Uniform Monday Holiday Act. And then over time, once it was decoupled from the actual date of Washington's birthday, we just lost the tradition. We totally lost the tradition. And it's very sad. And now people call it President's Day when it has nothing to do with that. This is not about Joe Biden or even Trump. It's not about Barack Obama. It's not about Woodrow Wilson. It's not about Millard Fillmore. Okay. It's about one man. It's not even about Lincoln. You know, some try try to say, well, because Lincoln's birthday is around there and that's how it started to be called presidency. No, no. It's to celebrate one man. We're not celebrating the majestic p- power of the office of the presidency. Just the opposite. We are celebrating self-governance that was bequeathed to us By one man who happened to be the first president of the United States. And the fact that he set the president precedent of being president for just two terms. And that the office of the president wouldn't be like that of a king. That is why we had self-government. That's why we had a republic. This was a man that had the opportunity to become king on two occasions. Perhaps three occasions. After he won the Revolutionary War as the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, when he became president, he could have kind of seized power. And then particularly when he had his first domestic crisis, the Whiskey Rebellion in 1794, he could have used that as an impetus and most people would have gone along with him. But he didn't use a crisis to suspend civil liberties. That is what we celebrate. When we celebrate George Washington's birthday, we celebrate the opposite of presidential power. We celebrate the devolution of power. In that way, February 22nd, George Washington's birthday, is really on par with Constitution Day and July 4th, in my mind, and, and Thanksgiving, in terms of its sacred status as an American holiday. We celebrate devolution of power, not the power of the presidency. What's interesting is, in Federalist 69, when Hamilton wrote one essay, that's what the whole essay is about, contrasting the power of a president to that of a king. People were very concerned when when you know they, they only had a legislative branch, they had the Continental Congress. And when they got out of the convention, and created three branches, people were very concerned, well, who is this president? What's a president? The only other executive power known to men was that of a king, a monarch. And the sick irony is, one of the clauses in there, he famously said, the one, meaning a president, can confer no privileges whatever. The other, meaning a king, quote, can make denizens of aliens, noblemen of commoners, can erect corporations with all due rights, incident to corporate bodies well folks now we have presidents that quite literally can make denizens of aliens unilaterally bring in foreign invaders give them status while muzzling the mouths of American citizens as young as two years old in airports while releasing thousands of foreign invaders into our country with no regard for spreading that same virus of course no we don't celebrate people like that with President's Day That's not what we celebrate. We celebrate one man. One man. And um, that's obviously George Washington. As Calvin Coolidge said of him, in 1927 he gave a speech honoring our first president. Quote, his was the directing spirit without which there would have been no independence, no union, no constitution, no republic. His ways were the ways of truth he built for eternity. His influence grows. His stature increases with increasing years. In wisdom of action and purity of character, he stands alone. We cannot estimate him. We cannot yet estimate him. We can only indicate our reverence for him and thank the divine providence which sent him to serve and inspire his fellow men. End quote. Well, sadly, folks, his spirit is waning. His influence has waned. Because now we have executive powers embedded in a president and even governors that could do whatever they want to you. They could declare there's right-wing terrorism. You don't have First Amendment rights. There's a virus. You don't have any other right. You don't have the right to bodily integrity. You don't have natural rights. You don't have anything other than what I tell you at my nightly press conference. That's what we have. We have now the opposite. We have a President's Day, a Governor's Day. We don't have George Washington's birthday. We don't have liberty. We have tyranny. You know, what was truly in the mold of George Washington is the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis. I was thinking he, he had it all. He was riding high. A lot of polls gave him the highest approval rating of any, um, really any governor around. This was in his first year in office. And then the COVID garbage came. And he took a hit. He took a hit. You know why he took a hit? Because he devolved power to the people. He refused to sack power. Imagine, see, typically, historically, the more you would try to grab power as an executive, the more the media and everyone else, the legislature, would would complain about you, and you'd you'd take a beating, because no one wanted one guy to seize power. Here, you had everything to gain by seizing power, and everything to lose by devolving it. The more you seize power like Cuomo, the more popular you got, and he took a hit. By not going along with it. That was an executive, a display of an executive power that we should celebrate in the model of George Washington. Now, people are starting to wake up and and Ron's numbers are going up while the truth about Cuomo is coming out. But that's what we celebrate about him. December 23rd, 1783, Washington shocked the world when he you know, he was the most uh, celebrated man in America, commander-in-chief of the army, continental army that drove out the British. Well, historically, what happens when you are the commander-in-chief of the army that displaced the previous re- regime, you become that new regime. You become the leader of the king. And not only did he decline to become a king, but he humbly told... Congress, which, by the way, met in my home state of Maryland in Annapolis. it's The the existing Senate chamber in Annapolis is where they met at the time. I retire from the great theater of action and bidding an affectionate farewell to this august body under whose orders I have so long acted. I here offer my commission and take my leave of all employments of public life. And in his mind, he thought that literally meant retiring to Mount Vernon and never returning to public life ever again, much less being a leader and a king. Reportedly, King George turned to Benjamin West, who was an artist, it was by his side at the time, and he said, if Washington does that, he will be the greatest man in the world. And he really was the greatest man in the world. He devolved that power. And he reluctantly, very reluctantly, Madison and some others, begged him to come to the Constitutional Convention, made him the president of the convention, eventually begged him to become president of the United States, unanimously elected, and he set the precedent of only serving two terms. But there's one other important point to make about that, very important point. The, the greatness of Washington was not just in the fact that he was so humble. He was a strong leader at the same time. You need to be strong. like you know, and, and that's really the leadership qualities of Moses. It says in, um, in Numbers that Moses was the humblest man on the face of the earth. But he was also a strong leader. It's that delicate balance that makes a good leader. And Washington, you know, he didn't want the presidency to have certain errors about it, but he did have certain formalities to the office, not because he wanted it. He clearly never wanted He wanted to be a Mount Vernon, but he wanted other countries to respect America. It was a pivotal time. He had to set the office up in a way that made sense, that would be enduring, and he had to make sure the people in the states would respect it otherwise you you would be back to the articles of confederation so he had this paradox where he had to project power enough to make the new federal government durable but not too much that it would infringe upon his ideals of self-government and where he really displayed this he displayed this a lot throughout his presidency um You know, being strong on the one hand, but on the other hand, being very humble. But he displayed this in 1794 with the Whiskey Rebellion. And on the one hand, you know, that was the first challenge to the authority of the federal government, their power of taxation. And he he couldn't let it stand and he put it down. But at the end of the day... None of the people arrested really wound up serving time. And he ultimately pardoned himself. He pardoned the the leaders. And, you know, because he sympathized with it. They weren't like BLM randomly just beating people and a random public safety problem. They had an issue with the taxation. And, And he sympathized. He actually deep down understood like, you know, they felt. The way Washington and his band felt just a couple years ago. But he felt ultimately, you know, the Republic would fall apart. So it had to be put down. But then he pardoned them. And when he explained the pardon a year later, um, December 3rd, I believe, 1795. That's when they used to give the State of the Union address um, in December. Now it's in January. January. And he said the following, For though I shall always think it a sacred duty to exercise with firmness and energy the constitutional powers with which I am vested, yet it appears to be no less consistent with the public good than it is with my personal feelings to mingle in the operation of government every degree of moderation and tenderness which the national justice, dignity, and safety may permit. Meaning, as much as I can get away with a lighter touch, I will. The exact opposite of what executives do today. Here we are 200 years later. Where we have executives. Ruling over us in a way that King George couldn't have imagined. Forcing us to wear burqas over our mouths. And literally silencing our mouths. As Washington said, if freedom of speech is taken away. Then dumb and silent. We may be led like sheep to the slaughter. And that's why I believe there's a lot of profundity in us forgetting the origin and the name and the meaning of this holiday. Because perhaps the reason why we've forgotten so quickly the importance of our own power and the limitations of what an executive could do to us, what any government could do to us, And we've gone along so many people with this COVID fascism. It's because we've forgotten the origin of the very holiday celebrating the very man that bequeathed us this power of self-governance. So again, those of you who are homeschoolers, teach your kids about the origin of this day. Because the difference between George Washington's birthday and President's Day is quite literally the difference between liberty and tyranny. Now, speaking of making George Washington's legacy great again, making self-governance great again, again, it starts with our new effort to focus on state and county governments, focus on nullification of federal nullifications of the Constitution. There's a lot of different things we need to be pushing. So, I just want to share with you a couple of updates so, first, we have North Dakota. Let's talk about North Dakota. So, there's good news and bad news in this update. And, and again, it, it just demonstrates the lesson of why it is so important, so, so vitally important for us to have a group of at least 20 people. And we have more than 20 people who have signed up so far in a number of states, but to form a strike force team. And to focus on the legislative process, on the good bills that need to be passed, the bad bills that need to be blocked, the chicanery that the GOP rhino governors and leadership in the the legislature employ to block good things and to bait and switch and water down good legislation. Nobody focuses on it. North Dakota is a great example. So I originally promoted this bill. HB 1164 by Tom Kading, a friend of mine in the North Dakota House. And he had a bill that would simply authorize Attorney General to declare any act of Joe Biden to be unconstitutional. And then the legislature would nullify it and and it would be prohibited to implement any aspect of that order at a state or county level or any organization in that state that gets government funding. and they watered down his bill in committee this Rhino Judiciary Committee chairman I think his name is his name is Kilmer or no Larry Clemen Larry Clemen is his name. he's the Judiciary Committee chairman. And he, and he did a bait and switch and said, you know what? Yeah, we could ignore Biden's unconstitutional orders if a court of law declares it unconstitutional. And that literally does nothing from current practice. I don't say law because it's not the law that the courts have the final say in the constitutionality of things. All branches must decide for themselves what the, the meaning of the constitution is. And this guy's out there on the floor there saying, oh, no, no, only the courts get to decide. And that bill passed overwhelmingly, but it was meaningless. We need a group in North Dakota, and if you are listeners to this show, you can email me, dharwitz at blazemedia.com, but moreover, go through the contact form at conaction.network. We need to start a North Dakota team. But... This is why we need it. I have an article out showing you the markup in the committee where you could see the bait and switch. We have Republicans that don't understand the power of the legislature. Speaking of presidents and executive power, they still think the guy's a king. No, you represent the people. You're elected every two years. You're closest to the people. You have to determine constitutionality. And when you have things like mask mandates that are beyond the pale unconstitutional, you have to say no. Frankly, I I disagree even with my friend having the Attorney General do it. Most Attorney Generals are are dogs in these states. There's another bill in Tennessee that's echoing this. Again, right idea, but it empowers the Attorney General. The AG of Tennessee has already written a number of opinions saying how Everything you can do under the guise of COVID is constitutional. It's got to be the legislature that's accountable to the people. That's the reality. Madison said, Federalist 49... The several departments being perfectly coordinate by the terms of their common commission, neither of them, it is evident, can pretend to an exclusive or superior right of settling the boundaries between their respective powers. Each department must, in the exercise of its functions, be guided by the text of the Constitution according to its own interpretation of it. Done. So that's the bad news. The other bad news is um, my buddy Kading had another bill in the Judiciary Committee in North Dakota. And we'll focus on, you know, a couple states at a time, but, you know, I'm focusing on North Dakota and and one other for today. He had a bill that basically would have barred big tech within the state of North Dakota from gathering private information to sell to online vendors. You know, we're told there's a right to privacy to an abortion. Well, whatever happened to big tech owning us? And of course, Judiciary Chairman Clemen... Stamps it with a do not pass. There's a certain designation they put. Do not pass. He had another bill. To. Allow individuals to sue. The state government. Give them a cause of action. So this would come in handy with. Corona fascism. Because that. Governor Doug Burgum. uh, Not exactly. A patriot there. He, uh, He. He's. He allowed the mask mandate to expire, but he is. I'm just telling you, this guy has land partnerships with Bill Gates. He's a long friend of Bill, a longtime friend of Bill Gates. And what happens in states like North Dakota that are Republican? You have these five to ten families that are very wealthy. They run all of polit- politics and corporations, and basically, they're all bisexual politically. If you know what I mean, like they swing from both sides. They're all friends with each other. He could have easily run as a Democrat, but he ran as a Republican because he wouldn't have won as a Democrat. As I always say, a Republican in a blue state is really a Democrat that's not talented enough to run in a Democrat primary. A Republican in a red state, for the most part, is really a Democrat that is too cowardly to run as a Democrat. Because he'd lose. So that's what you have there in North Dakota. All these bills were blocked. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is, somehow an even stronger nullification bill wound up passing out to committee and to the floor. HB 1282, Um, this, and, and I think because there were some conservatives that were off the committee or they weren't there for Kading's bill, but they were there here, Um, it was, whatever, somehow it wound up being passed out. And it passed on the floor. Despite the Judiciary Committee chairman speaking out against it, it did pass on the floor um, 51 to 43. Now, you might say, that's funny. 51 43, that's kind of close. Republicans have an 80 to 14 majority in the House. So, yes, we lost more than a third of Republicans. I actually list them in an article. This, my friends, is exactly, exactly why we need, exactly why we need, these strike force teams to hold these people accountable. No one even knows which Republicans screw us in a given state. They come back every election. No one focuses on priming them or holding them accountable. This is what we need, that everyone knows who's voting the right way, who's voting the wrong way, who's obstructing good legislation, who's pushing bad legislation. I'm telling you, a group of 15 people in this show audience, and, and we have a lot more, we'll have hundreds in each state and we'll have to create a few different groups and maybe divide it by different region and different issue. And I'm going to devolve that power to, you know, the state teams that want to do it. This is going to be very decentralized when we get this off the ground. But I want to just demonstrate this is why we need it. This is a great bill. 1282, and I'm thankful it passed. This is what we need in every state, every one of those 31 states with GOP legislatures. This bill, it's it's really good. This is the the model bill, HB 1282. We need to push this in every state, but we first need to get it past the Senate and the governor's got to sign it, and I doubt they're going to do it. If we don't push, they're going to water it down. Basically, what it does is this. It nullifies, it it, it. it and I like the fact that it doesn't give it over to the courts, it doesn't give it over to the state executive branch, attorney general, governor. It creates a committee, a nullification committee Within the legislature, it consists of, you know, members of leadership, you know, speaker, president pro temp of the Senate, majority leader, as well as six appointees from each house that rotate for, I think, two year stints. you get to be on that committee. And then they rotate out other people. It's a good bill. And basically, if they determine... If they recommend that not just an executive order, but any regulation and any, even if Congress passes a law, but if it's unconstitutional and also they, they apply it to retroactively too. So it could be anything that's already on the books, executive order, law, regulation. Um, upon the committee's recommendation by concurrent resolution, the legislative assembly shall consider whether to nullify the federal action. So I like it. It's a committee within the legislature and the legislature votes. This is the way it needs to be done. This is what our founders envisioned. As I spoke about two weeks ago, um, both Hamilton and Madison wrote in the Federalist Papers that this is what states would do with a federal usurpation that blatantly violated the Constitution. So it's a very good bill. The committee may review all existing federal statutes, regulations, and executive orders enacted even before the effective date of this proposed law. So this is good. It's good news. Now again, the bad news is it only passed 5143 when Republicans have 80 members. So my fear is it goes to the Senate, Republicans have a 40 to 7 majority. So we'll see what happens there. But we need pressure. This is exactly freeze frame right here is exactly where we need this legislation. This, this, this organization, I mean. So this is good news. We need this in every single state. Every single state. Now I want to focus on the next bill that I think is important. So this nullifies the federal tyranny. Okay, this is how we start. This is how we get our two-state solution. And I, I just want to interject for a moment before I get to the second piece of legislation I want to I want to promote for today. And that is this article from Bloomberg. Bloomberg Opinion, an interesting article. You could Google it. Stephen Mim. It's Silicon Valley Won't Last Forever. That's the title. Silicon Valley Won't Last Forever and Texas Knows It. And they basically talk about how Texas has been wooing big tech away from Silicon Valley to go to Texas, particularly Austin for many, many years. And they talk about it, but there's a funny ominous warning. I don't know if he, I mean, this guy's not a conservative, but it should be a warning to us. And they talk about, you know, Tesla and Oracle moving to Texas. And these behemoths aren't, are hardly alone. Texas is the top destination for a growing number of companies moving out of California and has been for upward of 12 years. In 2019, for example, 1,800 companies left the state. Most went to Texas. This has been paralleled by population shifts with a net shift of 42,500 people, uh, leaving California for Texas, the largest largest such movement of people in the country. The influx of well-educated, affluent tech workers, most of whom count, count themselves liberals, will transform Texas and not just its economy. In time, the growing number of transplants could help turn the state blue for the first time since it went for President Jimmy Carter in 1976 delivering its wealth of electoral votes to Democrats in future elections. If that happens, Republicans may belatedly realize that the power of the tech sector goes far beyond banning the president from Twitter. And, and the guy's right. He, he probably thinks it's cool, but he's right. And the reason why this is happening is because the Texas. where is the Texas legislature pushing the nullification bill? I've said this before. If red states are nothing but slightly lower crime and low taxes, but the same cultural Marxism, and they don't self-separate and push conservative values... Have bills nullifying everything Biden does. Have bills nullifying the homosexual and transgender agenda. Have bills nullifying the critical race theory and all this stuff and only have patriotic curricula in in the schools. Well, then they're going to think twice before coming and people are going to self-sort. And the companies that want to move for low taxes will only be able to get workers that are conservative tech workers. That's the way to do it. This is what split the baby conservatism does to us. It makes these states hospitable for liberals to move in. But they're not quite conservative to actually make the state conservative and dissuade liberals from turning the state blue. Part of why, uh, probably the biggest reason why so many red states have turned purple. Some of it's immigration. You know, not just migration from Americans from state to state, but you know just large numbers of immigrants coming in from parts of the world where they just buy into socialism. But it's because they've brought in these companies. It's because the Republicans are a bunch of rhinos. So it blurs the distinction. We need this sharper contrast. So I just want to deviate for a second, go on a tangent there. We need states like Texas to be passing this North Dakota-style bill. Now, the next bill that is probably the most important thing we need to pass is this state tyranny. So you get rid of federal tyranny, but what about the COVID fascism? Now, obviously, you got to get rid of the emergency orders, the mask mandates. But as I noted, 12 states technically don't have a mask mandate. Some of them never had it, some of them let it expire. But the problem, as I noted, is that the government has distorted the marketplace by lying about COVID and lying about masks. So all the businesses feel that to cover their bases, they have to enforce the tyranny on everyone else. So even if you get rid of the mask mandate, you essentially can't go to a doctor's office. You can't can't live with vital goods and services without covering your nose and your mouth. How are we going to end this? That's the vexing question. A couple of patriots at Tennessee Stands, terrific grassroots group, has pushed a couple of members of the Tennessee legislature to introduce the Medical Non-Discrimination Business and Consumer Act, SB 0320, HB 0794. If you want to jot that down. Again, this is model legislation. Perfect. What it basically does is it ensures that businesses cannot enforce mask mandates. It applies what is basically an anti-discrimination ADA and OSHA law to the mask stuff. That they cannot discriminate and deny the full and equal enjoyment of goods, services, facilities, privileges, advantages, and accommodations of a place of public accommodation, resort, or amusement on the grounds of the wearing or use of a medical device or whether the individual has received medical treatment, I guess they mean a vaccine. This, my friends, is the entire enchilada. This is where we need our movement focus. We can't do everything at once, but if we had a focused group of patriots on these two bills that I'm focusing on, one nullifies the federal tyranny, one nullifies the biggest tyranny we have at a state and local level, which was originally brought on by by government. I've said this before. Don't sit and tell me a private entity could do what they want. Because if a private entity could do what they want, then they could open up without COVID restrictions. I'm sick of playing this one-sided game. I'm sick of having our businesses subjected to North Korea-style tyranny While their businesses are somehow 1787 libertarian nirvana where they could do so much of what they want that they could even violate human rights. Not to mention the fact that they're doing it is only because of the governmental actors saying that the mask is what protects you. So they're scared of liability. So this bill takes away all liability. So it equals the levels, the playing field. So now... You know, if they want to let people in without masks, which it actually requires them to do so, they're not going to face a lawsuit. And in fact, they'll face a lawsuit the other way. We're not going to sit and have ADA where you can't look at a guy the wrong way in a, in a store without being sued. You have to take positive steps and build very expensive infrastructure often to accommodate certain disabilities. Yet somehow you could take an affirmative action to smother someone's mouth and not merely allow them just to go along. You know, and again, people have serious stuff. This is bad for everyone. But they have serious problems. Asthma, lung disease, autism. People who are bound and raped and had trauma from it. ADA 36201 says that no individual shall be discriminated against on the basis of disability in the full and equal enjoyment of goods and services. 36206, they can't retaliate or have coercion. And it covers any condition, whether a physical or mental impairment. It's 36.302.1. And um, it says even if contagious or non-contagious with transmissible diseases, you can't discriminate against people. You know, they did this for HIV. Well, now it's time to use it back on them. So this is a terrific piece of legislation. The Senate bill is sponsored by Senator Joey Hensley. The House bill is sponsored by Representative Susan Lynn. Again, we need to get this passed in Tennessee, but we need to get this passed everywhere. It's time to make anti-discrimination law a two-way street. You can't sit and tell me that a mom-and-pop shop must bake with their own hands a sentimental thing for a gay ceremony when those couples could find a hundred other places within five miles to go, but somehow... Businesses could get together, and they—they don't even have to do anything. We're not asking them to do anything. Just—it's the negative. Just don't cover our mouths to make it that no human being could get vital goods or services, medical care, anything, without taking this dangerous step of the Chinese burqa. I'm sorry. Oh, I don't know, Daniel. Like, so the Chamber of Government-run Commerce, the Chamber of Commerce is in Tennessee, like, yelping about this bill. Oh, you're regulating businesses. <laughs> so they have no, the Chamber of Government-run Commerce bastards have no problem with COVID lockdowns. Although oh, that, that's not a violation of, of a business uh, business right. No, 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 no. But if you just say, stop barking at people to put on a burka, oh, no, you can't tell a business what to do. No, we're not playing that double game anymore. This bill, Medical Non-Discrimination Business and Consumer Act, that is what we need to push in all 31 states where there's a GOP legislature. Done. That's where we are today. That's where we are today. You know, I was thinking over the weekend, I saw the news that last week, I think it was last week, Utah became constitutional carry state. So you could carry without a gun permit. Carry concealed, much less open, without a gun permit. And I was thinking, like, it's funny. Guns is the only issue where we were successful at a state level for the last 25 years or so, actually getting the red states to be red. In fact, being a red state basically only means that you're pro gun. (laughs) We need that type of successful movement for all these other issues. State sovereignty, COVID fascism, education reform, values reform, fighting back against the training stuff. Which reminds me, another good bill, and you could look it up. I forget the number, but you could just Google it. Um, in New Hampshire, someone introduced a bill in the legislature to prevent critical race theory from being taught at schools and government agencies. So, you know, Biden restored it at a federal level. But again, everything he does at a federal level, we can and must shadow box it in the states where we can. It's HB 544, I believe. Um, that's another thing that should be on our list of you know top 10 to do's to force at a state, at a county level of government. Um, Again, you can do this when you get in touch with your county commissioners, your school board officials. This is what a true grassroots movement will look like. This is what self-government will look like. A governor or a president can't rule us by fiat. That is the legacy of George Washington. That is the legacy. Now, I didn't get to a lot of other stories today, all my COVID news, I'll have to say that for tomorrow. Lots of good data. Lots of information just blowing up. All their panic porn with the variants. And um, I have a new study out. My buddy uh, Kyle Lamb helped put this together for me. Sh- comparing the data of social mobility to excess deaths. So in other words, it's the best measure you could have. In terms of input of what states did, we look at social mobility. How much did their social mobility go down based on Google's social mobility scores? Then took a look at how many excess deaths they had. And once again, there is zero correlation. There's almost a little bit of a reverse correlation, but not strong enough to prove, between low social mobility and you know doing better with excess deaths, fewer excess deaths. So that's where we are with that. But again, one more thing when we talk about the legacy of a president, of a chief executive, I just want to talk about Trump for a minute. Um, You know, now that impeachment, thank God, is over with. Trump has one way to redeem himself, and that is to get involved in primaries, but not like he did before when he was president by endorsing the bad guys against the good guys. But to make it clear that he will endorse against the lockdown governors, the fascist governors, and, 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 you know, I hear from the grapevine, Trump is trying to get involved, not necessarily in a good way, but, like, trying to focus more on Congress because that's where his beef is. I get it. But governorships are more important. That's where the power is. That's where he needs to focus. He could single-handedly flip 10 to 15 governorships to... Patriot side within red states. All these red state governors are up. A lot of red state Republican senators are up too. Some open seats, some incumbent rhinos. We could remake the map in one election cycle. Trump could do that. And and the more he does that, the more good candidates will run because they know they'll have his support. Anyone with a, in with Trump needs to be pushing that. So that is it for today. But, but again, as always, I need you guys to sign up. For CR Podcast, make sure you get it on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever, you know, Google Play. Um, make sure 5 to 50, up to 50 of your friends and relatives, neighbors, coworkers, everyone you know hears about this show. We are like no other show. We are not just a show. We are a movement. We're focusing on the issues that matter and what we can do about it. Also, I'll continue to be at on Twitter until I'm kicked off at Conservative. I do have a Gab account. I'm using more, Daniel underscore Horowitz. Um, my Rumble account is Harwitz Citizen Sanctuary. And again, conaction.network is where you could start signing up for our state teams. You got to be a little patient because we want to make sure we have the bandwidth to properly organize these teams and get everyone together in a way that's secure. Um, like I said, we're going to send out an email to each individual individually so let's say we have 50 people in ohio and we want to create ohio liberty teams or you know one team and we have a team leader that wants to organize it we're going to first email anyone who signed up and say hey are you okay with us putting you on a message whether it's signal whether it's email whatever it is we'll work that out with with you guys and anyone who affirmatively answers yes you know because we don't want to breach anyone's privacy Everyone's very concerned about that. You'll be put on that list, and then the state team leader will take it from there, and you guys could work it out. But I just wanted you guys to understand from these anecdotes of what's going on in Tennessee and North Dakota, the opportunities we have. But these opportunities will slip by very quickly if we don't have pressure groups to really expose the rhinos, pressure them, make champions of the good guys and the good legislation, make it catchy, make people engaged. That's the bottom up paradigm of governance. That's the opposite of the presidential and gubernatorial power that's being projected. That is the true spirit of George Washington. Washington's birthday. And that is really what we should be celebrating next week. John Trumbull, the famous painter, the guy who painted the the bust of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. He was in London during Washington's uh, resignation in December of uh, 1783, the resignation from the Continental Ar- Army. He said that That event excites the astonishment and admiration of this part of the world. Tis a conduct so novel, so inconceivable to people, who far from giving up powers they possess are willing to convulse the empire to acquire more. The Europeans couldn't imagine such a novel man. We lost that legacy. But thanks to Madison's design, we don't lose it with one president. We have 50 states. We have 3,300 counties. That's where the fight needs to be to regain the legacy of the great man, our first president, George Washington. Folks, thanks so much for listening. God bless you all. Till tomorrow. This has been another episode of CR Podcast.